Welcome to Beyond This Point. I'm Gabriel Stromberg, Creative Director of Civilization. So, what is the point of Beyond This Point? The inspiration for this podcast really came about through our studio, being so inspired by those around us who we work, collaborate, and engage with. Artists, business owners, designers, and leaders of all types. We recognize the value in having access to these distinct perspectives and wanted to create a conversation that puts a spotlight on different ways of seeing, thinking, and making. While in Hong Kong, I had the pleasure of meeting Katerina Iverson, co-founder of Boris, a product design studio with offices in both Hong Kong and Stockholm, Sweden. Our conversation centered around the theme of place, environment, and how these inform the process of design and production. Boris is a studio that creates design-forward products that utilize materials and production in a really thoughtful way. The day of our interview, Boris actually took home a Design for Asia Silver Award for their Hipster Lampshade, an ingenious felt lampshade that is fully collapsible and created with a sustainable approach to materials and space. Besides products, Boris also creates branding and identities, designs eco-conscious packaging solutions, and conducts design trend research. And now, let's go beyond this point. Uh, Katerina, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for you for inviting me to do that. Yeah, so. Do you want to <laughs> chat a little bit about what Boris Design Studio is all about? Yeah, I would love to do that. I always love to talk about Boris. Um, so I founded Boris um, six years ago, no, seven years ago. I always forget that, but it's, uh, it was in January 2009, the 15th of January. Yeah. Uh, me and Anna Carlson, uh, we um, founded the studio. Uh, and it was actually um, back in like 2008 when the big financial crisis uh, came to the world and Hong Kong and shaked around. <laughs> Great um, time to start something new. Uh, yeah, actually it is. It, it is actually. And I think the, I mean, most people were like, you're going to start your company. My mom was like, come back to Sweden. <laughs> and I was like, no, we're going to do this. Because um, we saw lots of opportunities. And um, I think one of the opportunities really was that, you know, when, when things are a bit shaky and... Um, you know, you're gonna go and buy a service, a design service. You really want kind of a personal relationship uh, with the one you're buying the design service from. You don't want to go to one of the big companies. And we already had, after you know, since me and I had been working working together here, one of the biggest uh, studios here. We already had a good like set of clients. And you know, when they still wanted things done, they like came to us and like, okay, we know you. And then we, even if you're a small company, you know, we know that we can trust you and we can always call you and you will like, you know, make this happen to us. So I think this kind of personal relationship kind of helped us in the beginning that people, you know, they wanted kind of a smaller firm to work with. Uh, so uh, Katerina, you're originally from Sweden, which is, which is known for its design. Why did you choose Hong Kong, the city of Hong Kong, to start your studio? It's actually, um, it's actually because I started to study um, industrial design back in Sweden. And then I went to Italy in Milan and studied there for two years. And then I kind of felt, you know, it's, you know, we already have this kind of set, you know, what design is in Sweden. We know we have our, you know, this is good design. The same thing in Italy, you know, we, it's really conformative and we know exactly what design is. And then here out in, in Asia, it was like this, design was like something new and Hong Kong was very much about doing this that kind of business of design, that we're using design as a tool to make better business. And that was something that I was really curious about because it was not only about this design, you know, strong design traditions, the Scandinavian design, the Italian design. It was like taking design and making it to something more and something else than just the, you know, beautiful aesthetics and, and history of it. 
and that was the main reason that I came out here to take a, take a master actually at the School of Design here in Hong Kong. And that was 10 years ago. And then, you know, I wouldn't say I got stuck because that sounds like something bad, but you know, I got, you know, yeah, I fell in love with the city and I fell in love with the place and the, the dynamics and the, you know, ways of working with design here. China is also a, known as a center of production, and I'm sure that came in handy being a product designer. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the, the key to it all, right? Because both me and Anna, we were extremely like hands-on in our design process. So when we started working here, you know, even when we worked together for these other companies and when we found our own company, it's always been to be very involved in production. And we, we usually talk about this thing that you're we're bridging the design and we're securing the design investment because we work with European, we work with you know, US companies or Japanese companies and by, you know, we design things and we hand it over into the, at the, you know, the manufacturing site and we can follow the design you know, from, from concept and ID into production and pre-sample and pre-production sample and make sure you know, that the intended design is there you know, through it. And you know, so being hands-on and being a part of that thing is really very important to us. And uh, you also have opened a second studio in Stockholm? Yes, we did. And that's super exciting, actually. And we've, we founded a company right here in, uh, in Hong Kong. And um, then now we've decided to, like, we're going to have a studio uh, back in Stockholm that Anna will like, build up. And um, so it's actually really, we were, from the Swedish Chamber of Commerce, I heard that we were actually one of the first Swedish companies who are doing this, that we set up, like, to found the company in Hong Kong and then going international by, you know, moving back to uh, Stockholm in Sweden and that studio is, is in Stockholm uh, so it's um, you know as so the capital of you know the sign in Scandinavia which is really good for us to be. <laughs> so. How does uh, how does working in Hong Kong differ from working in Stockholm? Um, I think it's um, one thing that is like in Hong Kong is that you know when you do business uh, for example back in Europe or back in the US there's always this kind of quite long time perspective. You, you find somebody and you, they're like, oh yeah, we would like to do this thing, you know, maybe we could work together on this. And they will say like, yeah, we should set something up and like, maybe we can do that, you know. Let's see, next week I'm really busy, so maybe in the beginning of next month. And you're like, yeah, okay, you know, we'll see. And then you might have a talk. And here in Hong Kong, it's more like, you know, yeah, I would love to do this. Could we meet tomorrow and go through this? And you meet the day after and it will be like, yeah, perfect. So then we're going to start on, you know, on Monday next week, we're going to have this ready. We're going to go to the factory. We're going to set this up. And you, so everything is so much quicker. It's like much stronger dynamics taking place here in Hong Kong. And I think it really has to do with this kind of, also the denseness of the city. That Hong Kong is um, such a small, you know, place. So everyone is literally on top of each other. And also knowledge is just around the corner. You can reach out your hand and you will like, you know, know that person who's like super good at producing aluminium molds and you, you, you will, everything is so accessible. Uh, and I think that really creates this like the speed uh, in Hong Kong uh, that you can always, you know, everything happens, it happens now directly and yeah, directly. It's really, really one of the worst words I would say. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about what you do, the products that you make. You're, you're actually here today because uh, you just won a, uh, a design award. The, yes. The Silver Award, the Design for Asia Silver Award um, for your, your hipster lamp. Yes, we did. And that's super exciting. And um, that, I think this is really, it's really fun for us that it's the, the hipster shade. Uh, and the hipster shade is, because it's kind of one of more like, um, 
hipster hipster lampshade. Yeah, hipster lampshades, uh, and it's a foldable lampshade. Uh, and it, it is that made of felt? It's made of felt, right? So it's a foldable lampshade made of felt, and the whole idea is because sustainability is extremely important to us, uh, because as the as designers and product designers, we are like responsible for putting more products, you know, on our earth, for like straining resources and creating waste and all these things, and. The whole, you know, we need, really need to take responsibility as designers um, when, for when we produce products. And we can't just, you know, make products and say like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, they couldn't make it more sustainable, so we will be fine. Uh, for us, this is like a really important thing to do, like already from like, on concept, like the concept stage and then into production. So what we did with this um, lampshade is that we've, um, you know, lampshades are usually very big, especially the trend right now, big lampshades. And they... Actually, transported, you know, when you transport lampshade, you transport a lot of air. So it's a lot of like empty space that you transport. And that's not really good for like the, um, you know, the eco foot footprint of like a shade. So we had this idea that we're going to make a completely foldable lampshade. Um, and we started looking into different ways of doing it. And uh, the first generation we did was called the grandmas. And they were much like hats, like foldable hats. Uh, the second generation is this hipster shade. And um, as you can see here, it's, it's completely foldable. It's just like two centimeters, less than that, one and a half centimeter when it's folded together. And when you fold it up, it's like a complete, you know, it's a voluminous shade and it's like no support inside. It's just made of felt. Uh, and the whole thing is actually that it's just a super simple production method as well, right? Because it's just one single um, pattern that is, um, we use a die cut, cut it out. Uh, six pieces, then they are stitched together, uh, and then you have a finished shade. Uh, so it's very small, like production steps in it, which also minimise, you know, the eco footprint. Um, using a mono material like felt. It's really unexpected. Yeah, it is right. It is right. And when you use mono material, you also can like, you know, the whole kind of um, recycling becomes easier. And the best thing with this one is that we're working with a factory that makes. Um, computer cases for the Japanese market. Uh, so we're actually using their scrap material. You see, it's very narrow, it's like only 10 centimeters wide, like this one, right? So it's, it's like, kind of like illustrates the whole idea of how to think about sustainability in a product. That, you know, you take something that is like known to be produced in the exact same way, and you reconstruct that and make it into something else. And you take, you know, you take action in every step of it from like, you know, how will it be transported? How will it be recycled? How will it be produced? And, you know, how beautiful will it make my home? Maybe I should add to that too, right? But. So is, uh, is sustainability, is that an important part of the, of the Boris philosophy? It's, a, it's I think it's, it's the core of our philosophy, that in everything we do, we work with sustainability. And we also, also when we work with, um, for example, consumer electronics and, um, and bigger brands in our consultancy part, it's really one of the important things that we look into. And there it's, of course, much more difficult to do it. But there's way of doing that too. For example, you, when you make a mobile phone, um, you can, for example, avoid to have coatings and UV coatings on it. And instead of having coatings, you can create something we call mold, mold textures. And that's like actually a texture that's already in like the tool and the mold itself to eliminate, you know, these kind of extra treatments uh, in the process. You can, of course, also use like, you know, 
sustainable plastics, better plastics, recycled plastics. And when somebody says like, no, you know, the sustainable plastic is not really good enough yet, you can say like, yeah, they are, because they actually are. They might be slightly more costly, but what you gain in the end, and also what you can gain these days of actually having a product that can be, you know, that is better, that has a better footprint, and benefits that they give you uh, as a, you know, as a brand, um, they are like bigger than you know those extra cents that you have to pay for like a better materials into it. Was the initial inspiration for the hipster lampshade? Was it um, the idea of making lampshade, or was it the idea of solving the problem of production and transportation? It was definitely solving the uh, like the problem of uh, like transport. Um, I think transport was the main thing because I remember this clearly. Me and Anna, we went to a factory, and we stepped in this room where they were like packing all the shades and I think there were only the room was like super crowded of this like big shades and it was maybe only like 25 of them in there and it still fill, filled up you know, filled up the whole room and we like looked at it it's like this is completely insane you know it's like they just gonna transport air and they're gonna send this from the factory here in China to US in a container that will like just be filled with air and um, we sat you know in the in the car back from the factory we like there must be like a better way to do this, you know. And then like, and then we, as we always do, we just started like experimenting, you know, cutting up paper, you know, gluing that together and like, okay, this could work. Maybe we could do like this, or maybe we could do like this, you know, and really trying out and like trying big sizes and small sizes and, and everything. So that, that first collection that we did um, was called The Grandmas. And the biggest one uh, we did is actually, I think it's over my 50 centimeters in diameter. Um, it was, um, isn't it? it's called Anna Barbara, and that's my Polish grandma, because she, she always took a lot of space, right? So we named those after <laughs> our, our grandmas. Uh, and these ones, you know, this gen second generation that we won the prize for, is um, we call the hipsters. And they also have their characters, you know, like yeah, fix your bikes and sausage making and craft beers when we wrote into the story. <laughs> Do you think um, do you think living in Hong Kong, which is such a dense city, do you think that has contributed the way that you respond to space or how you think about space? I I, th I think it does because it does also like the size and the scale of the products that we make. Uh, it's definitely you get this kind of sense of you know scale, space, and like that you can't you can't design like massive things. You have to make like you know things that fit into a space here. Uh, so it definitely does. I think the, the cool thing with Hong Kong is that, you know, even if it's so dense and everything is so like, you know, you can feel a bit trapped sometimes. It's uh, actually that we have like all this massive, you know, nature around Hong Kong. I think it's only 30% of Hong Kong that's like actually with like high rise buildings. And the rest is like this jungle where you can go hiking and you can meet monkeys and things like that. I've heard about these monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> so you can actually go out, you know, and, you know, have this kind of like mind space. You know, if you're down here, like nowhere in Wan Chai, actually only like, you know, 10 minutes up the hill, you will be in the bamboo jungle and you won't even hear, you know, the traffic noise or the city noise or anything like that. And that's 10 minutes away. It's like nothing. Well, so the, the first place that I saw your work was at the PMQ, which is a design hub here in Hong Kong. Where else is your work available? It's... Um, available online, of course. Uh, but here in Hong Kong, it's available in quite many places. Um, PMQ uh, is one of them. Uh, and uh, we also have them for like Hong Kong Design Center, something called Design Gallery, uh, where they like collect like local designers. Uh, then it's through other outlets like um, in Horizon Plaza, which is one of the big 
classic Hong Kong style. It's a, it's a shopping mall, 26 floors of like interior design shops. Yeah, it's classic Hong Kong. Where else would you find like 26 floors of like interior design? But there we have our, our, our products as well. Uh, and then we also have them, of course, in Europe and available in, in a lot of different places. So, but you can always find them on our, on our website and through us directly. Oh, is it available anywhere in the U.S.? Oh, we ship to the U.S. I think we ship for free to the U.S. even. So it's, uh, we've, uh, and because they're packed flat, you know, they're completely flat, so we can send them everywhere. <laughs> so uh, the store that I saw your 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 lampshades at was uh, Creative Suites. Yeah, Creative uh, Suites, uh, Hong Kong, and. Um, it's actually started off that we were, we started to recognize that there was a lot of, a lot of like creative entrepreneurs um, coming to Hong Kong, and um, usually we just met up you know randomly on the street, have you know having a beer and like oh you're here to doing design and you're doing this and we kind of realized that it would be nice like gather us together right and so we can actually exchange experience and not only experience like doing business and you know producing things but also like our design philosophies and you know. All, you know, all this kind of experience that you have as an entrepreneur and designer. And so we gathered, we started to gather together and um, the concept that it created became like this um, uh, Creative Suites Hong Kong, where we, um, I think it's a bunch of designers, maybe like we're around 12, 15 designers, Swedish designers. And uh, now for, from you know, the start of Business of Design Week until Christmas, uh, we have this pop-up space uh, in uh, PMQ. Which is not only like a showroom and shop of Swedish designs, but it's also like a workplace. So we have a big long table where we can sit and work. We have a 3D printer there, and you know you can book your meetings in town and really create this exchange um, that is so important when you're a designer. Because the whole, I think the whole like design is so much about making things better, solving problems, and you can't really do that without having this kind of interaction, communication between people. And what better way is it than having that, you know, between, you know, the creatives that like doing things and, you know, because so, we, we all have so much visions of what we want to do, right? So yeah. collaboration is important. Collaboration is like one of the core things, I think. I mean, it's, if you, if you look at our website, we do a l very wide range of, um, uh, of products. Uh, we do, you know, mobile phones, we do houseware, we do booklets, we do, you know, plant furnitures, we... Is you that, also do identity design as well. Yes, we do that too, right? And we would never be able to do that without doing collaborations and you know finding experts in different areas. And uh, to me, at least, that's a lot of what like being an industrial designer is about—that you actually, you know, you you become like a small expert on things, but you do that by meeting experts and like you know having this collaboration and exchange and you know talking to people. And I think that's why we are like. That's why we're so passionate about this thing that, you know, the sharing and the collaboration and having this, you know, a place for people to meet and, and discuss things. Because that's, you know, where, that's like where the greatness happens. And, you know, when you meet, for example, when you work with a technology product and you meet a guy that, you know, builds small PCBs and you, like, sit there and discuss with him, like, how these senses can go into it, you, like, get into, like, a completely different world, right? And that, like... You would never, if you didn't, if you didn't like take the time to like talk to him about this, you would never know these things. You would just design something, you know, like I think this would look good. But here you can, yes, can we do this too? And can we have the sensors inside it? And he will, you know, that guy who's like, you know, think that nobody really cares about his, you know, technology expertise will like bloom and like you come up with fantastic ideas. And I, I think that's what sharing collaboration is about, right? To 
make people share like what they're the best at. At Boris, uh, your team is how large? In our Hong Kong studio, we're uh, six people right now, uh, and in the Stockholm studio, we're uh, two people. Uh, so Anna and Marco mm -hmm. sits in um, Stockholm, and here in Hong Kong, it's uh, me and it's Anders, uh, who's also Swedish. Bem, he's from the UK, and uh, Vicky, uh, she's from Hong Kong. And then we have Ingrid, who's also Swedish. And then we have um, Kat, and Kat, she's on maternity leave, Swedish style, as we give that <laughs> benefits to our employees. And she's also from Hong Kong, but she's, I think she will be away for like six months, a year or something like that. The Swedish style of uh, things, like this, the bene employee benefits, you know, that we <laughs> build into it. And does everybody have uh, an expertise? Does, uh, is there something that specifically that everybody does or is, is good at? Or does everyone kind of contribute to everything? Is it just one big uh, I collaboration? Mean, we're the, um, most of us are industrial designers, but we have uh, industrial design like from a different kind of view. Uh, so for me, it's, uh, I'm also industrial design in the background, but I'm more focused on like the strategies and sustainability, I would say, um, into it. Uh, we have Anders, and he's also he's um, also like a true industrial designer. Uh, came from a more like hardware design. So you know, he does a lot of like um, soft goods and software design, like bags and these things. Yes, and he's um, he's also one of these who's like um, you know production problem solving, a lot of CAD. Uh, Anna, she's um, she's all like concept guru. Uh, She's magnificent, you know, render and she sketches uh, amazingly. So we can, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to have her just for sketching in workshops, but she's like too important for us to do that now. Uh, and then we have Bem, who's also an industrial designer. And he's also more, uh, you know, supporting um, the other ones in the design, production design part. Vicky, she's um, our graphic um, guru. Uh, so she does like, a lot of the graphic work uh, from the logo types and you know booklets and things packaging around that we need to have. Uh, Ingrid, she's our main like product manager, so she also makes sure that the studio, you know, work works uh, in a good way. And uh, Kat is also like visual media, um, and so she also does a lot of graphic design, but also like moving media and these things. So we've, I think, everyone has their like um, expertise area, but it's not like you would sit and do only that because. It's a very, you know, one day you, you come in in the morning in the office and you might be working on an identity design workshop. Then you will be building some paper models um, for, you know, aquariums uh, or something like that. And then, you know, the next day you'll be going to China to um, check out the factory or check an LCD display on a mobile phone. So I think one of the, for us, it's very important that you have a, like a very wide scope because I think that like opens your mind uh, as a designer. So we usually talk about this, that it's like this kind of some like an innovation circle, you know. We, we do product, if we do identity, and if we do like design research, we like all of these will feed each other. Because we'll know by doing products, we'll know what's possible in production. Uh, and that we can apply, you know, in, into to new innovations. And by doing design research, we'll know like what the trends are and, you know, what needs that people are. So, and by knowing all these things, we can actually create like great identity and branding designs because we we know what the possibilities and we know what people want. And and what products that you choose or you decide to focus on, who who decides that? Who can those come from anywhere? I think it can uh, come a lot from anywhere. I, when, I'm, when me and Anna started a company, uh, one of our previous um, 
bosses, he told us like, you know, you should never make business personal. And for me, Nana, I think it's absolutely opposite. We're like, yeah, it's super personal for us. It's, uh, we only work with uh, people that we like to work with. And having the, I mean, I'm very, very grateful that we have the opportunity to say no to things that we don't want to work with. And we, sometimes we say no to things because it's, you know, ethically it's not, you know, adaptable to what we want to work with uh, in terms of, you know, the kind of product that it is. Or sometimes it's because it's supporting something that we don't feel uh, good about. Sometimes it's actually because we don't like the people, you know, that <laughs> approach us. And, and we feel that they don't have like an energy that, that works with us. And being able to do so and being able to like actually like build your company on like on your passion and like working with the people that you really want to work to, I think we can really, you know, for us it is one of the important things like because as an entrepreneur you work so hard and you work, you spend so much hours, you know, making your dreams come true that you really need to, yeah, you really need to be able to like be passionate about it at all times. And if you work with products, if you work with people that, you know, don't really, you know, that sucks out, you know, energy instead of giving you energy, you wouldn't be able to, like, last that long, right? So I think that's, like, one of the, the most important things for us, <laughs> to be honest. How do you stay inspired? I think in a city like Hong Kong, it's extremely easy to do it because we live in a city that we're, like, high and low is just mixed, you know, in, in one, one big, you know, pot. Uh, once again, if we take like oh, one shot here in Hong Kong as, as the example, you know, you stand, you, if you go down to like the, the street market, you will stand there and you will see this lady selling meat and one other lady selling food and, and you will see the, some guys selling, you know, mobile phone cases and then you will look up into like uh, a super like fancy new high rise, uh, luxury high rise that it costs like millions and millions to buy an apartment. And if you look at the other way, you'll see the, you know, the jungle and the forest. Uh, and you look the other way, you'll see like tourists walking by. And the other way will be like small kids running around, even if it's like 10 o'clock at night. So you have this kind of like mix, um, you know, right, you know, in front of your eyes. And you have this kind of people, you know, solving their problems of, you know, you know selling their like, you know, goods and like a small like street stand where you have the problems of somebody you know not knowing where they're going to park their Rolls Royce you know and it's very <laughs> extreme and I think that this kind of like in these extreme things you kind of also see like extreme solution and extreme possibilities uh, so I think definitely it's like Hong Kong the city itself but it's also the possibility to go out in the nature and have like a moment for reflection and if you didn't have that possibility I think Hong Kong would be like it would be like you know living in Blade Runner, and I don't think that would be so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> is there a project coming up that you're really excited about? Yes, there is. Um, this year we started to do some plant furnitures. Uh, and plant furnitures might sound like a really strange thing, but it's actually like furnitures integrating plants and technologies. Uh, it's exactly what we've been talking about, <laughs> the city and nature kind of coming together. Yeah, it is. It, it, it kind of, I never really thought about it before ever, but yeah, you're right. It actually is. I need to t tell Anna about this. No, it's, so it's actually one of the products that we're doing is called um, the Bloom Box. And it's like a Bloom Box, but with plants. So it's a plant table that integrates uh, a speaker uh, wire with wireless uh, speaker into it. So you can actually play music for your plants. <laughs> and um, 
it's also like an integrated like water tank system with sensors into it. So the sensors will help you help you to keep track like that the water level is enough, that the humidity is enough uh, for the plants. And the plants themselves are selected to be like this air purifying plants. So it's like this kind of like low-tech technology, high-tech technology, and the beauty of like having, you know, a Scandinavian ash wood together with like beautiful plants in your home. I wonder if there's certain music that plants will grow There is. There's a too. lot of studies on this. You know, you wouldn't think so, right? Especially, uh, this like death metal, it's like they're really sensitive to it. Um, I don't know why. They kind of like jazz music and also classic music. But there's people doing studies on this. Mm -hmm. That music for plants is a good thing. And I guess it would be, right? It's living things, music good for people, plants are living, you know, it's, it kind of makes sense. But also very interesting that people are doing a lot of research on this. So. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned before that sustainability is such an important part of what you do and what Boris does. Is this something that resonates with the people who are buying your products, or do you, do you see it as your job to educate them on this topic? I would hope that the people that buy our products, that's important to them. Uh, but I also hope that, you know... Yeah, this is it's quite a difficult question, this about, you know, when you talk about educating people about sustainability, and especially consumers about sustainability. And I think because there's one really... I actually wrote a thesis on this one and you know the only strong you know incentive that you have for people actually choosing you know making sustainable choices the strongest one you have is like economical incentives and that's like you know that they can you know save money or like make money by making sustainable choices uh, because the whole concept of like you know saving the world and saving you know the, the planet it's, it's too abstract it doesn't really I mean yeah, when you do, you get, you know, you get a small kid and, you know, like you want to save the world, you want to make, you know, buy better food, organic, you know, that those kind of things are like quite, you know, tangible, right? But you would probably still, you know, buy all these extra baby gear and plastic toys without, you know, really thinking so much about it. And I think that kind of illustrates this whole idea that, you know, sustainability is so difficult to, to tackle. So you really... It needs to start a lot earlier than with the consumer, I think. It needs to start with you as a designer. It needs to start with the manufacturer. It needs to start with like regulations on, you know, on a governmental level. And it also needs to be something that's, you know, democratic in some way or like, you know, accessible for people. I don't know if democratic is the right word, right? but it's, you know, you need to make it, you know, you can't only have, you know, fancy fantastic you know it's so much about this eco luxury right now i i fucking hate eco luxury it's like a shit thing because it's not it's not about you know making it accessible to everyone uh, you know i rather go to buy you know instead of buying some eco luxury shampoo i like to go and buy the one that's sold at watson's for like 60 hong kong dollars was that like five us dollars um because it's you know it's like seven and a half because <laughs> it's yeah, because it's having you know it makes it you know it makes you know this eco shampoo and like ecological things accessible to like the crowds, to more people than just the one who can afford to buy something, and I think that's why it needs to start at like an, a much um, earlier level than than consumer. Okay, yeah, consumer they will make they will make the change by making these conscious choices, but what if the consumer only can make conscious choices? If they only can buy products, that are like better produced 
that are recyclable and those. So I think it needs to start a lot earlier than me being the one who create like a really expensive, you know, eco t-shirt or like even an eco-friendly, you know, lampshade, you know. I, it's, it's not, I'm not the one who, what I do will make a difference as a designer. Uh, but telling people only like this, like, you know, you need to buy this one because it's sustainable. It's, I'm not sure that will be enough. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm making total sense here, but I really, an important thing for me is that it's like accessible to the many people. And that's... Um, and you achieve that through design? You can achieve that through design because you can make products that are not, you know, eco-luxury. You can make products that are better made um, in a better way. And I'm not saying that everyone can afford my lampshades, but I'm saying that by me taking that responsibility, by me going into when we am as a consultant, when we make, you know, mobile phones or we like make, you know, headphones or these kind of things, that we make sure that those products are better made and that they can be recycled. Then we give you know access to better products, and by that we can change you know uh, change you know the whole kind of you know eco footprint that products makes on our, on our earth. In that sense, um, you're impacting the world through design. Yeah, I hope to do that at least. <laughs> I hope to do that, and I also hope to do that like too, like this sharing and also like this. We we like work a lot with like education too, and. I think that's, you know, as if you're a designer, I think you should like have that in your core from the beginning. Also when you're a design student that, you know, you, you are very much responsible for the things that come out in the end. And sometimes it can be almost impossible, you know, to make, to make somebody change something in production. But as long as there's somebody fighting for it, I think we, I think we can make a change to design. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about Beyond This Point is created by Civilization, a design firm rooted in social change. The podcast is audio engineered by Dave West and produced by Eric Blood. Listen to more of our podcasts at beyondthispoint.design.